It's good to see you here on this holiday marathon weekend. I'm glad that you are here. I do not feel pressure to entertain you. I do not think that you have come here to be entertained. There may be a variety of motives why you've come here, but a lot of you have come here because you just want God. I just want God. I just want God, and it's where I just want him to speak to us. I want us to have a big view of God today and be focused and centered on him. And sometimes when we get off, we're not thinking like that. So let's ask the Lord to do work in us. Let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, do a great work through your word today where we get so captured by you and who you are and the, and the greatness of you and your intervention in our life and your love and care for us. May we be enraptured by you, caught up in you, encouraged by you. Do a great work this morning through your word. We are not seeking to be entertained here. We're seeking to have a relationship with you and to grow. May you do a great work by your spirit. In Christ's name, amen. I want you to think back, if you can, to your high school years. For some of you, that's a lot easier to do than others. It wasn't too long ago. And just think about all the talk you did of what college you were going to go to, if you went to college. All the talk. Perhaps you were a freshman and you were saying what particular school you were going to. However, you did not go to that school, but you talked a lot about going to that school. If you were an athlete, maybe you were going to commit to a certain university. Maybe you had the gear. You did a lot of talk, 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 but there wasn't a lot of follow-through. You switched schools two or three times. I'm not going to see a show of hands if, if those of you, how many different schools you verbally said that you were going to go to that you did not go to. It was just a lot of talk, and I want to say that's okay. It's okay to talk, talk, talk. But when it comes to our spiritual lives and our spiritual commitments, it's not okay. And what I find in the church and in my own life often is there's just a lot of talk, talk, talk. A lot of talk about what you're going to do, about a lot of talk about the commitments you're going to make to God. But what is lacking is the follow-through. Think about this. Many of you have committed your lives to the Lord, and in this commitment, you really want to follow him, but there is just a lot of talk. I I think a lot of you have committed to purity, but it's just talk because there's no follow-through. Some of you have made commitments that you want to get in God's word and prayer, and, and you say, God, I am going to commit to you. To get in your word on a daily basis, but the follow-through is lacking. Maybe you've committed to be involved in a body of Christ or be involved on campus ministry, but your follow-through is lacking. Or maybe if you're a, a husband, you've committed to pray and lead your wife and your kids, but that commitment doesn't have a follow-through. Or maybe you said, you know, I'm going to finally forgive someone, and you've committed to forgiving them. And loving them, but there is no follow-through. And so there's a lot of areas in our life where we make these God commitments. God, I'm going to make this commitment to you, and you just talk, 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 talk. And so you have this cycle of commitment, lack of follow-through, guilt. 
And it is a cycle, like a circle, right? You make a commitment. God, I commit to you, and then you don't follow through, and then you feel guilty. And so what do you do again? You make another commitment to God. You don't follow through, and you feel guilty. And so you just, you're just cycling. And there are a lot of you here this morning that are so sick and tired of that cycle. You're making a fresh commitment to God, but you, you know you're not going to follow through. You know it's just going to end in guilt, so you just, you just quit the whole game of commitments to God because you know it's not going to go anywhere. So how do you bust out of this lack of follow-through cycle? How do you get out of that if you're sick and tired of being in it? Well, you may hear a lot of suggestions, and you'll hear these suggestions from me. Maybe you'll say, okay, this is what you need. If you really want to follow through, you need self-discipline. Right? You just got to be disciplined. And I agree with that, and I'll preach self-discipline. That's good and everything. But my question is, what comes first? What comes before self-discipline? And you'll say, uh, accountability. I just need someone to hold me accountable. If I had someone to hold me accountable to my commitments, then I would follow through. And I agree, accountability is a big deal. But what comes first? What comes before accountability? And you'd be like, uh, my heart? I've got to deal with my heart, my heart issues. I've got to go to some counseling. Maybe someone's got to deal with my idols. And I'm like, okay, that's good. That's good. Deal with your heart issues. But what comes first? If we're just going to focus on accountability, if we're just going to focus on heart issues, if we're going to just focus on self-discipline, those are all great. But, but, but what comes first? And it, this is going to really shock you, okay? This is really just going to just blow your mind. But here's what comes first. You ready? The answer is God. Crazy, huh? Yeah. God is the one that you're making these commitments to. And once you make these commitments to God, you can forget him sometimes. You think, no, it's all about my self-discipline. It's all about accountability. Do you show up for accountability? Are you dealing with your heart? Are you confessing your sin? What is the point of all that? Oh, oh yeah. That would be God. I think a lot of times we cycle because we miss the whole point of the commitments. It's not to make our lives better. It's, it's God. That is our focus. It's Him. There's a great quote I read this week. I just want to share it with you. It says, Only the worthiness of the object can sustain long-term excellence. And in our case, the worthiness of the object is God, and long-term excellence is follow-through. Counseling alone will not sustain a long-term follow-through. Heart issues, dealing with them alone, accountability alone, self-discipline alone, it's not going to sustain that long-term follow-through to our commitments. It's got to come back to like, oh yeah, we're committing to God. And it's that Godward commitment we are going to focus on this morning. And we're going to hone in on the word on a certain woman named Hannah who made a commitment to God and she followed through. So let's go ahead and turn in the word to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel. Just started it last week. 1 Samuel chapter 1. 
Last week we saw Hannah in the temple crying out to God. If you may remember, she is barren. She can't have any kids. She's like, God, give me a kid. Give me a son and I'll give him back to you. And God was doing something because her barrenness mimicked the barrenness and idolatry in the land of Israel. And the Lord was going to give her a son. And the son would lead God's people back to him. And this would be Samuel, who's going to lead Israel to this great spiritual renewal and be the judge, the last judge before the line of the kings. So as we pick up our story today, Hannah has a son. But before she had a son, she committed to give him back to the Lord. And the story today is, will she follow through? Well, let's see. Chapter 1, verse 21. The man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. Remember last week? Just some dude being faithful year after year serving the Lord. Here he goes again. Back to worship. Just some dude. Verse 22. But Hannah did not go up for she said to her husband, as soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Hannah's got a boy she asked for. Elkanah goes to worship. She goes, I'm not going right now because I, I need to wean him. And back during this time, that would take about three years. So perhaps Hannah skipped about three to four years of going to worship. She still has her son. She still has not given her son to the temple like she pledged. She said, I will do that after I wean him. Look what her husband says in verse 23. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. Elkanah, her husband's like, all right, that's cool. You can wean him, but don't forget your promise. He's not being an annoying husband. He's just encouraging her to follow through. We need people in our lives who are not scared of us, who will get in our face in a loving way and say, that's cool. Just be sure you follow through. Continue on in the story. Verse 24. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. So she's bringing her little boy. He's like three, probably. And she's got all these uh, other things with her to make this great sacrifice. Verse 25. Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli. And she said, Oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. Remember me? I was the one that you thought was drunk. (laughs) And I was just praying. Remember? He's, He's like, oh, yeah. Verse 27. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord as long as he lives, And he is lent to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. This story is too familiar that you guys are not even shocked anymore. Way too familiar. Do you you even get this? She had a boy that she prayed for. She's raising this boy every day for probably three years. She's taking her son, and she's going to leave him at the temple for the rest of his days. This is a big deal. How many of you who have kids want... To leave your kids with me. Don't answer that question. Right? 
This is a big commitment. She lends them to the Lord. This is a radical Godward commitment. Three years passed, and she falls through. And you may think, oh, Hannah, that's kind of cool. She kind of just made this commitment, had a kid, and she gave him away three years later. That's, that's nice for Hannah. And, and it's a big deal. But don't, but don't just think she just did this. Hannah, unable to do this, had like this really big God theology. I don't know if she went to seminary, probably not. <laughs> but she had this big God theology that enabled her to make a commitment and follow through. And don't you wish you knew what Hannah thought about God so that you too can make the same commitment and follow through? Don't you wish? Because the same God of Hannah is the same God of you. And if you could just know Hannah's theology, then maybe you can follow through on your commitments. Don't you wish you had her theology? Well, praise God, we do. And it's in chapter 2. It's her big God theology. We have a huge prayer from Hannah of her big God. She believed in a God who kind of weaves together the events in this world. She weaves together the character of God. And what's going to be really cool for us, we get to see the big God she believes in because it's the same God we want to trust in as well. And this is going to be encouraging. We're going to focus on God. She does this in three ways. She focuses on God's otherness, on his Intervention of flip the circumstances, and we'll get to the king in a bit. So let's start in chapter 2, verse 1. Don't forget, why why are we doing this? Because the, the woman just made a huge commitment. How did she do that? Big God theology. Start with verse 1 and look at God's otherness. Chapter 2. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My strength is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord. There is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge. And by him actions are weighed. Did you see the God's otherness here in verse 2? Did you see it there in verse 2? There is none holy like the Lord. Let me tell you about God. In God's moral perfection, in his holiness, as he is set apart from us, God never sins. God never has a wrong or sinful motive. God is not here to mess with you, jack up your life, or ruin you. There is no way. For those of you who think God is out to get you and ruin your life, he has no such sinful motives in his character. He is holy and he is set apart in his otherness. There is no way that his motives are out to ruin your life in sinfulness. His motives, actions are completely pure and he is completely holy. Do you believe in a God like that? Hannah did. Look what else it says in verse 2. There is none beside you. So God is unique. He is distinct. He is different from all of his creation. He's incomparable. And, And get this. God doesn't always do things your way. God doesn't always do things my way. He does things his way. 
And you may think, well, that's really bad. I don't want to follow God that just does things his way. No, no, it's really good because look at the next part of verse 2. It says, there is no rock like our God. Our God is firm. He is secure. He is immovable. He is protective. He is strong. In him we find strength and protection of one who is for us, not against us. So no matter what you are facing, if you are a child of God, God has your back. He is on your side. He's not out to get you. And you can run to him as your rock and be protected. It's like that famous hymn we sing on Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. So Hannah has committed her life to a God who is not moody. God is not flimsy. God is not weak. This is a God who has her back. He is holy. He's separate. He's distinct in his creation. But he's good. You see the big, have you seen that? Big God theology. But at the same time, she also believes that this big God is not just separate from her, but she also believes that this God intervenes in her life. Now, you ready for this? To flip the circumstances. She actually believes that God intervenes to flip the circumstances, the circumstances of her life and her barrenness and the circumstances of the world. This is such an amazing prayer. Look what she says in verse 4. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. The flip is on. The weak become strong and the mighty oppressors become weak. Verse 5. Those who are full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who are hungry have ceased to hunger. Look at that reversal. The poor, they're not hungry anymore. And those who once were living large, they're selling themselves for bread. Hannah gets personal. Look at the end of verse 5. The barren has born seven. But she who has many children is forlorn. Whoa, so Hannah had seven kids? No, 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 no. She had Samuel, but she had a total of six. Seven is just this idea of fullness, of perfection. So she's saying, I'm full now, but my rival, Penina, she is now forlorn. You can think of a New Testament concept uh, from Jesus, uh, Matthew twenty-three, twelve. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. That's a flipped. The arrogant become low, and the humble become lifted up by the Lord. Continue on. Ladies, it'd be awesome. Just imagine going to a prayer meeting and have a woman praying like this. Look at verse 6. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings town to Sheol, that's the grave, and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. Check that out. Hannah, this is just amazing. In faith, she's saying, God, you're a God who intervenes and you flip the circumstances. You did it for me. You're going to do it for Israel. And you're going to do it throughout this earth. And so it made her believe, okay, God, you're going to raise people from the dust. You're going to raise them from the ash heap. In fact, you're going to raise people from the dead. That's her faith. And I want to say to you, to the extent 
your prayer life and commitments and follow-through increase or decrease in proportion to your faith in God to flip your circumstances? If you don't pray much, it's probably because you don't believe God's going to do anything. If you're not crying out to God, God, please intervene, it's probably because you don't believe he's going to. And if you're not making commitments, you're not following through, you don't feel like God's doing anything. Not Hannah. She believes that God actually intervenes. But you know, I look at a crowd like this, and I know that you guys know the word, and I think that most of you believe God can actually change things in this earth. I think you actually believe that God can change your circumstances, right? I, I went to seminary. I've been preaching the word for a long time. And I believe that for sure God can change circumstances. And I think most of you do too. But you know what? I think the issue is, I think, we, I think he can. But I'm not so sure he will. I think he can for you. But for me, I'm not so sure he will. You ever get like that? God's going to do it for you and for people in the Bible, but I'm not sure he's going to flip my circumstances. And so we actually doubt that he'll do anything. So the trouble that we're facing, we're going to face it tomorrow and the rest of our lives. just going to be trouble. We don't believe that he's going to change anything, and so we don't pray much. We certainly don't commit much and follow through no way because we don't believe God intervenes. And I want to tell you, because I'm speaking to you and I'm speaking to me, when we get like that, I think we fail to see that God not only is good, but he's also sovereign. And so if you're dealing with stuff right now that you want to change, that bothers you, that gets you down, that discourages you, I don't know what it is, you need to understand that God is good. He is not trying to mess with you and ruin your life. He's not against you. He's for you. I, I think some of you may not even turn to God in prayer because you don't think he's for you. That's a lie. God is for you not against you in Christ. He's a good God. But I think a lot of us also fail to believe that he's sovereign. Intellectually, emotionally, no. And when I say that God is sovereign over your circumstances, what I'm really getting at is that you and I need to trust his timing. So many times we go to the Lord in prayer and we say, God, change my circumstances like right now. And when it doesn't happen today, we turn away from God. How about we trust his timing? And I'm going to say something pretty prophetic here, okay? You ready for this? I guarantee you, like a 100% guarantee, God will 100% for sure guarantee, I guarantee, he will flip your circumstances in his time. For sure one day. And if not in this year, and if not in next year, and if not in this life, then the next. And when you're with the Lord in glory, and your circumstances are totally reversed, right? You will look back and go, wow, that time back then was so short compared to glory. So the issue of trusting that he is good and trusting his timing to flip the circumstances. But until then, we seek his face. This is Hannah's God. Oh, it's yours too. It's a big God. And lastly, Hannah believed that God's 
king will reign. And to me, this is the most exciting. I can't believe what's going on here in the word. I hope you catch it. Look at the last verse, verse 10. She prays that the adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the power of his anointed. That is a strange prayer. And it should be strange to you because during this time, there's no king. Israel has no king. In fact, Hannah is praying and speaking prophetically about a king that is to come. Because they're in a leadership crisis right now. In fact, it's her son Samuel who's going to turn the nation back to God. And he's going to be the bridge to the reign of the kings. And the idea here is that God was going to judge through his king, whom he will strengthen and exalt. But I think Hannah's doing something else here. She's going beyond the next coming king of Israel. In fact, I believe Hannah's going beyond the line of the kings. And as I was reading a variety of commentaries, a variety of commentaries believe that Hannah is shooting to the last king. Look again, verse 10. It says, he will give strength to his king and exalt the power of his anointed. And what scholars are pointing out there, that terminology of his anointed, they believe that is a reference in Hebrew to the Messiah, or if we're going to say it in Greek, a reference to the Christ. And it seems that Hannah is prophesying beyond the line of the kings, and she is going to the great king of kings, which we would call and know as Jesus. He is the king, the strong one, that will deliver his people from their sins. And many years later, this king would come on the scene. And this is where it gets really cool. This is like, if you doubt your Bible, it's things like what I'm about to tell you that will encourage you. Because many years later, the king of kings comes on the scene, and we have another woman. And her name is Mary. And an angel comes to her and tells her about the last king that she's about to have. This is what the angel Gabriel said to her in Luke chapter 1. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever And of his kingdom, there will be no end. So it's all starting to come together here, okay? So you have Hannah prophesying before the first king even shows up on the scene. And Mary is promised to give birth to the last and the ultimate king. All right, so Hannah has this baby. And so she prophesies about the line of the kings. And she hints at a future king. And then Mary, another woman, says, guess what? You're about to have this ultimate king, the throne of his father, David, and he's going to rule forever. In fact, he's going to be the last and the greatest king. And so what did Hannah do in response to her baby? Worship, praise God, big theology. Well, what about that teenager named Mary? (laughs) This is where it's cool. She does the same thing. In fact, Mary mimics Hannah's prayer. Same stuff. This is what Mary says. My soul magnifies the Lord. See, Mary's got big God theology. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. 
Look at this. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He's flipping the circumstances. He's brought down the mighty from the thrones and exalted those of humble estate. And he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. And this all comes through the last king, the king of kings, Jesus, who comes on the scene to deliver his people from their sins. The king is born in a very humble estate, lives a perfect life, dies on the cross, buried, rises again. And now this king, Jesus, is exalted at the right hand of the Father. And the word that goes out to all of you and to all the world is that if you repent and put your faith in this king, this king will forgive you. This king will deliver you. This king will reign over you. And this king will bring you into his kingdom today and to live with him forever and eternity. Hannah prophesizes it. She praises God for the beginning of the reign of the kings. Mary is promised the last king, king of kings. She praises God in big theology. And for those of us who put our faith in Jesus Christ, in this great king, we see this one reigning over us that is worthy of all of our commitments, who is worthy of all of our lives. And we got to go back to him. So we root ourselves in Hannah's big God theology. There is no one like him. He is other. He rules his people as a gracious king. He's the catalyst for her prayers. He's the catalyst for her commitments. He's the catalyst for her to show up one day at the temple and say, here you go. Big God theology. Go back to the quote I gave you earlier. Only the worthiness of the object can sustain long-term excellence. The object is the great king. He will fuel our follow-through. He will fuel our commitments. And so my brothers and sisters, I ask you, where are you at right now in your God work commitments and your follow-through? And I'm just ask, I'm just asking, are you still cycling? Commitment like a follow-through guilt. I, I, I hope that you are sick of that. Commitment, lack of follow-through guilt. Uh, you've got to be tired of that. And so here's the deal. No more new commitments, right? Let's go back to some of the old ones that you've committed before. Maybe just go back to some of the old ones and say, okay, this time around, I'll get, I'll get the personal discipline. Yes, yes, yes. I'll have the accountability, absolutely the accountability, and I'll deal with my heart issues. But, but first and foremost, I'm going to realize that this is a commitment to God. And it's a commitment that is sustained by God. And that your focus will be totally driven toward him. Not to get a better life, not to live a healthier lifestyle, blah, blah, blah. No, no. It's, it's about God. And so where are you at right now in your God work commitment? What have you committed to him and failed to follow through over and over again? And let me tell you this. This time around, when you fall through and you, you don't fall through, if you've done that, you're not falling into grace. You're not falling into guilt, but to grace, okay? So understand that grace is there. But you want to commit. Say, okay, God, I'm going to commit my life to you today. What, what is it? Purity? Get in the word? <laughs> Share your faith? Serve in the church? Finally, finally lead your spouse? Encourage your spouse in Jesus? What is it? Get the accountability? Sure. Deal with your heart? Yes. Self-discipline? Yeah. But focus on God. That's the point. You're living for him. 
May you get a fresh vision of him and what he's doing as the great king of kings that has invaded your life and is calling you to get caught up and to worship him. So may we be locked in onto this, this big God and fueled by a big God theology. Let's pray. So where you're at right now, where you may have failed in your commitments before, may you realize that you're falling back on grace, not guilt. Use that grace as a spring to commit your life to him again. To commit purity to him. Life of loving others. Confess your sin that you don't want to be distracted or lazy. You really want to know him. Press into him. Whatever those commitments are or have been in the past, may you receive forgiveness in the springboard of grace to commit again to this great God. And may you stay committed to him. And may the object of Jesus Christ, the reigning king, fuel your long-term perseverance to continue to follow him. May the fresh vision of God stir you and renew your commitment to him. And Lord, I ask that you would stir us up the vision of you. Convict us and press upon us through your word who you are. And may we not fall back into such foolishness and if we do, and we fall into grace and continue to look towards you, to look toward the King who reigns over our lives and who is worthy of all of us, every single part of our lives, worthy of it all. We commit our lives to Jesus' name.